You're listening to Leading Innovation at Work, the Future of Business podcast with your host, Lori Rowlandson. Hi, everyone. Welcome to this episode of Leading Innovation at Work. I'm your host, Lori Rowlandson. In today's episode, I'm so excited to learn from one of my work heroes, Hillary Carter, Managing Director of the Blockchain Research Institute. How are you, Hillary? I'm great, thanks, Lori. How are you? I'm wonderful. It's great to have you here today. So in today's episode, Hillary's going to share with us more about how blockchain is transforming business, including how it's impacting the built environment. But before we do, I'd love to hear a little bit more about you, Hillary. I'm always delighted to see women in leadership roles related to emerging and disruptive technologies. I'd love to hear a little bit more about how did you become interested in blockchain and how did you get to where you are today? Wow, thank you. Um, it's so wonderful to be here. I just want to start off by saying thank you so very much uh, for having me on your program. Um, my journey is, I would say, unique, um, as you know, so many are. Uh, but I, my professional background um, kicked off in financial services. When I left graduate school, I was actually working uh, part-time with RBC Dominion Securities in London, England which is a global, um, as a global uh, financial center, London, England specifically, I had um, a lot of exposure to global currency markets, uh, pound sterling, Swiss francs, um, and then the Euro legacy currencies. And it really changed my perspective from one to um, being sort of Canada centric to being very much uh, a global outlook. And um, when I returned home, I joined um, an organization that I've felt reflected that sort of global perspective, and that was UBS Bank. And there again, I had lots of exposure to um, global transactions, primarily in financial services, but also global clients. Um, and then as my career evolved and I, I pivoted when I had a family and moved into um, the field of communications, I developed a second skill set in communications and uh, consulting. But I always sort of drew on my love for the financial markets and financial services. And um, this was around uh, the mid um, 2000s, like 2003, 2005. And at the time, um, at the time uh, in the market, the internet was really having a profound effect on, on organizations. And I was witnessing the disruption of the internet on some traditional industries like print and publishing, who were my primary clients, um, magazines, newspapers, and organizations who were um, largely web only. And so I had this benefit of watching a dramatic shift take place with the emergence of mobile technology and um, the impact of the internet on traditional businesses. I watched some of my earlier clients in print and publishing be outright disrupted by the internet. And so I, as a, I was a new mom at the time and thinking about how do I prepare my children for a very disruptive future? And the best way that I could prepare them was to prepare myself and to understand the impact of technology on traditional business models. Uh, so fast forward a little bit um, and the emerging technologies that were very transformational um, to that part of my career were the advent of mobile technology and um, soon after the emergence of blockchain technology through the innovation of, of uh, Bitcoin, the first cryptocurrency. Um, and what spoke to me about blockchain was that in the way that the internet disrupted certain industries, blockchain technology was the first that would profoundly disrupt that first chapter of my career, which was financial services. This was the internet of money and um, of the, the transformation of the way we negotiated contracts and the way we exchanged value would be totally upended through this technology. So I thought, well, the time is now to jump in and uh, to really take a deep dive into this, this field. So applying a few of my, my core skill sets, which were research and writing, um, I was able to, to uh, break into the industry by working with uh, some of the pioneers, including Don and Alex Tapscott, um, as well as some of the Canadian blockchain innovators to say, look, this is an important space. Uh, let's get the word out and uh, see if we can work together. So I find myself very happily here at the Research Institute, um, continuing a bit of that mission. 
I love your story, Hillary, and I think it's such an important lesson to impart on people to continue to reinvent themselves. I read this incredible statistic the other day that um, uh, by the year 2035, 85% of the jobs will be based on technologies that haven't been invented yet. So I love your philosophy around reinventing yourself as you have done, but teaching that as a transferable skill on your children and just as a, a continuous love of learning to not be afraid to switch career paths and be bold and step into a different path that is related to emerging technology that clearly has such a, an important future in transforming, in your case, banking, but is transferable to so many other industries. So that's a great, uh, you know, implied lesson, I think, in what you've said as well. Thanks, Lori. I, I can't say enough about the importance of lifelong learning. And um, I hope that my story serves as, as an inspiration to others. Uh, I am not a technologist. I have different skill sets. And um, I think uh, two things are true, that, that technology will touch everyone regardless of their functional roles, regard, regardless of the fact that they'll, um, they might be focused on on human resources or marketing or um, uh, you know other type of, of professional um, tasks and that um, everyone it's incumbent on all of us to to understand emerging technologies to the best of our ability and apply our core skills to these new fields uh, so that you know we succeed professionally that's so wonderful well, without further ado, I'm so excited to learn from you today, Hillary. So why don't we get started with your presentation? Thanks, Lori. It's a, it's a pleasure. So um, yeah, I, I'll introduce um, uh, the work that we're doing at the Blockchain Research Institute very briefly. Uh, we are a, a global think tank, um, and our mission is to conduct the definitive investigation of how blockchain technology is transforming business, government, and enterprise. Uh, and we're conducting a number of investigations along these um, uh, industry lines. Uh, and I'll get into a little bit about how we structure um, our leadership. But the purpose of our work is to inform leaders about um, the business model changes that will be brought about through blockchain technology and to inspire organizations to think about how they might need to position their organizations for success in such a transformative environment. If I think about where um, Blockbuster video was in the early 90s, I think that an organization like Blockbuster would have been well served to have been um, uh, part of an organization that brought forward insights about how transformative and disruptive the internet would be. Uh, because if Blockbuster could have predicted the impact that Netflix would have brought on its business, it might still be here today. It may have made that strategic investment in Netflix um, and repositioned its organization accordingly to survive a very transformative time. And so we hope that, that we can provide that same value to organizations who are, look, who are at the dawn of a new era of the internet um, we describe blockchain as the second era of the internet, where the first era of the internet was the internet of information, um, enabled by, uh, you know, primarily email being one of the first big internet applications, where internet, where information was shared ubiquitously and, and um, efficiently and uh, globally very instantly, and it really changed a lot of business models. Um, and blockchain is the same kind of paradigm shift where this technology is changing models around the way we exchange value and whether that value comes in the form of exchanging money or exchanging data um, or intellectual property and a host of other um, types of, of asset classes and that we find ourselves at the very beginning of a new generation of the internet um, so it's a really uh, exciting time so we'll kick off with just a few questions that i hope will be um, we'll get everybody thinking about the opportunities, certainly as it relates to real estate. So this is my slide if you think about what if, um, and try to envision a future of um, new models of real estate. And so what if people live without fear of land appropriation by corrupt actors? 
Now, this is a, a real problem in certain parts of the world where people don't have um, a, a permanent record of their, their real estate holdings. And that's that's been a problem in situations where uh, we've had massive landslides in Honduras and uh, people cannot prove their rightful ownership uh, of their property, which enables them to prosper, it enables them to borrow um, against their property and it enables them to feed their families in many cases. Um, so in a situation where you've got corrupt governments, what happens when you cannot prove your land holding and that government says, hey, your farm actually belongs to my cousin, uh, we'll see you later. Um, being able to prove your title is a big deal. And so we're seeing um, applications of blockchain technology being um, a platform that enables people to uh, prove the rightful ownership. Another um, benefit of being able to, to prove your, your ownership of real estate is if you think about the destruction of Puerto Rico from Hurricane Maria, a number of uh, citizens in Puerto Rico whose homes were completely destroyed were unable to qualify for assistance from FEMA for years. Um, I mean, I think we're two years past that now, but they're still waiting for assistance. And the, the holdup is that they cannot prove they own the properties that have been destroyed. And so they cannot get that relief for the reconstruction effort that's so needed to rebuild their lives. So having a permanent record of real estate is incredibly important, certainly from a citizen and a, a, a moral uh, point of view. And well, if we think about businesses, what if every single building had um, its own kind of digital identity that stored um, records of every service, of every uh, of every piece of material, of every contract, and that you could um, see at any given time what what the state of the union was for that building. What was the value of the data? What was the value of um, the leasing contracts? What was the value of the the service contracts? What is the life cycle of a building and its materials? Which inputs might need or, uh, replacing which materials um, are subject to recall, who installed the elevators or, or you know, where did those materials come from? These are really quite exciting opportunities and that blockchain enables this kind of um, network state to be available to organizations in real time. So think of, of this opportunity, each building having a digital identity of its own. Um, what if organizations could certify the life story of their products? If we had perfect parts provenance to know that um, materials were ethically sourced, that that cobalt did not come from uh, a conflict uh, origin, um, or that you know diamonds that we might be using in professional uh, capacities uh, were not sourced from conflict regions. Uh, provenance is, is an important um, moral story and allowing our stakeholder groups to know that we're dealing ethically with, with products and services is a way that we can help create higher levels of trust with, um, with our clients and with our, our stakeholder groups. This life cycle of products is also incredibly important when it comes to uh, parts um, servicing. We're, we're, we're better able to know which suppliers consistently provide us with reliable and high performance parts. So this is kind of exciting. We've never really been able to solve this problem um, to the same level that we can solve for it today. I'll get into that, that kind of uh, problem solving timeline a little bit later. What if the value of the services that our real estate generates did not go to Silicon Valley? If we think about hotels as, a, as an example of real estate and they're having to to surrender 30% of the value that they generate because of the booking um, coming through Airbnb or Expedia. Um, perhaps there's a different method and certainly blockchain is enabling more value to be retained by those who generate it as in the building and its, um, its tenants or its uh, owners. And uh, this extends to other types of sharing economies and, and our ability to monetize idle assets. There's really no need um, in a blockchain future for um, so much value to go to 
such a centralized um, internet uh, player like Airbnb or or Uber or the Expedia's of this world, that the market making activity is going to be uh, much more expeditious and facilitated through blockchain. So these are other opportunities for people who who have assets um, such as real estate assets or other types of assets um, that are related and how we can potentially monetize those assets and create more value for our organizations. What if property owners controlled and monetized the data that their facilities generate? Data is the new oil and it's been um, fueling organizations like Facebook and and Google um, and they've been very successfully monetizing data um, around our internet activities. But soon they're interested in monetizing data around the way we live, the way we consume energy, the way we um, interact with our physical environments. Um, and that's a very powerful uh, uh, asset. And there is a new opportunity for organizations to outright own the data that they generate and to be able to create new value from that data, turn their organizations into data companies, um, rather than have to surrender this asset to bigger internet players. This type of opportunity is entirely facilitated through blockchain technology. What if facilities managers could incentivize sustainable practices um, by their tenant through monetary incentives or a type of gamification? Um, what's exciting about, about blockchain technology is that it provides the market force to drive a lot of the positive behaviors that we're really seeing um, uh, needed at, in our planet around uh, sustainable practices. And we can really supercharge the right kind of behaviors that both lower costs and create uh, higher efficiencies and less waste. And so this too is a kind of platform that can really take off using blockchain technology. I'll give you an example. Um, if, we, if we think about carbon uh, offsets and carbon credits, I believe that there will come a time when um, by me making um, better choices around my energy consumption or the fact that I may choose to buy a carbon neutral product, I might receive a tokenized carbon credit that I can then use to, uh, for other um, environmentally friendly behaviors like taking public transit. What I might not be able to do with that incentive is use it to put gas in my car. And so if we think about new models of incentivizing um, sustainable behaviors by all of the various actors in our businesses. Uh, these kinds of, of opportunities are really supercharged by a, a kind of blockchain platform that that um, powers this, this um, kind of behavior. What if energy, so this is one of my favorites, think about this one. What if energy sovereign buildings could trade the excess capacity on the open market? Uh, I sat through a fascinating webinar describing this very scenario, uh, which will be enabled by a number of, of new technologies, particularly transparent solar. Um, so if we have transparent, transparent solar windows installed in all of our beautiful futuristic glass buildings, we create opportunities to have energy, energy sovereign buildings and um, any excess energy that a building might generate is um, able to be traded with the brick um, building next door. It doesn't quite have that efficiency. And, you know, it's hard not to be inspired uh, about these opportunities for waste management, for sustainability, um, for contract negotiation, uh, for value creation. There are just so many different um, areas where um, blockchain technology integrating with other technologies like the Internet of Things, like solar, it's going to create some really exciting value for, for, for real estate and the construction industry. So that, those are our what if statements and that's what we, we are investigating this kind of, of transformation at the Blockchain Research Institute. And we see that this is what the future is going to look like. Really quite exciting. I love your what if statements, Hillary. And I just want to underline a couple of, uh, just elaborate a little bit on some of the problem statements that real estate professionals are faced with, and I'm really excited to hear the application, but 
a couple of things just to underline in that really amazing um, summary that you've just shared. One is um, competition comes from everywhere. Disruption is coming from places we never expected. So there's a lot of non-traditional competition coming in from different places that we have to be aware of. I love what you've described here in the what-if statements because um, it really becomes a common language for information. I love what you said specifically about the digital identity and property owners having access to data and monetizing data. I think as more uh, the Internet of Things and more data becomes available for multiple sources, it's only going to exacerbate the data management problem from landlords. So having that building code that you talked about being the parent and then all of the other data sources feeding into that I think is a very exciting way to be able to develop that common language and interface and uh, interface with each of the different um, data sources that are coming online. And I'm really excited about the sustainability and sourcing for a number of reasons, particularly incentivizing behavior and that objectivity and neutrality that blockchain brings into things. And, um, you know, dealing with either excess capacity or waste management. And then the last thing I really loved what you said was around the market making, back up to the Airbnb example that you provided. So those are platforms basically that allow, uh, that allow a free open and exchange. Well, blockchain takes that to a whole new Uber level above that, right? That completely unleashes potential that's beyond a specific company's commercial model. It really provides that objectivity and neutrality for a whole new way to exchange. And I'm really excited to see that. So just a couple of things that you underlined there, the data management, sustainability, and access to that common language and exchange, I think is a, an area that a lot of either property managers or facilities managers and building owners really struggle with today. And it's, I'm really excited to hear how you've applied this. Oh, thanks, Lori. I'm excited to, to dive into some more details. Um, I think off the top, I'm extremely excited for, for the future of real estate. Some industries, I, I really worry about their ability to earn revenue in a blockchain world and to provide consistent value to their clients in the way that they always have. But I see, a, I see much, much upside for real estate. Um, I think that this will be a huge value-adding technology more than I see it being um, a, a very scary or undermining technology. It'll be a great companion technology for, for the real estate and con construction industry going forward. So I think the future for this industry is, is uh, I'm an optimist, definitely. Me too. All right, so I'll carry on with, um, with some further background and, and um, some stories. Uh, getting into these what-if statements perhaps in a little bit more detail. So as I alluded to, the way we view blockchain, um, uh, you know, we see it as being a companion technology and that it will integrate with all the other exciting technologies that comprise uh, the, uh, those of the fourth industrial revolution. Um, we don't see it as a standalone technology at all. Rather, we view blockchain as being the underlying transactional platform that will integrate with machine learning. It will integrate with autonomous vehicles and, and solar energy and all of these other amazing developments. Um, and that it will be the platform that stores, secures, and facilitates the trading of value points that are associated with all of these other technologies. It will store the data that is generated by the IoT. It will secure the autonomous vehicle from a hacker in a much more significant and profound way than our legacy systems in the first generation of the internet. Um, incredible opportunity. So um, it's very much a companion technology and we're still in early, early days, but um, this is sort of the visual for how we see blockchain playing out with all of the other uh, emerging technologies out there. At the BRI, um, we're, we're investigating how blockchain will transform a host of other industries, um, not just financial services, but of course, um, energy and power, uh, government, education, travel and transportation. And our newest sort of leg on this stool is construction and real estate. Uh, we didn't have many cases 
um, when the Institute was, was formed, but now we do. And that's what's really quite exciting is that we're seeing um, organizations emerging, they're realizing what the opportunities are in construction, and they're starting to roll out pilot projects to describe um, the problems that the technology can solve, what it can't solve, and um, what the opportunities and the implementation challenges are of such an initiative. Um, so this is just one way that we're exploring how blockchain is transforming organizations. Um, the other way that we're looking at blockchain is we're, we're exploring it from a, a, a horizontal analysis and looking at how it will impact all areas of the firm, all areas of the C-suite. So if you happen to work in construction uh, or real estate and you're the human resources officer, don't for a minute think that blockchain does not apply to you. Um, it is coming for all of us. It will interact with all of our professional uh, lives, whether you're the CEO or the human resources officer. Um, the CEO cannot escape this. They have to come to terms with it one way or another, whether that decision is we're going to lead an implementation, we're going to stand on the sidelines, or we're going to just ignore this and hope um, that it all goes away. Um, so this is where lifelong career learning is really important. And, um, you know, if we think about contract negotiation for, for cleaning staff in a building, there, there's one of the very first blockchain um, companies that I was exposed to is a group in Australia called Chronobank, who are looking at um, paying um, building contractors, specifically cleaning staff, using cryptocurrency, maybe paying them the very day that they complete their work. Um, rather than paying them monthly and rather to have those huge payroll costs. Um, you know, transforming marketing and, and the way we, we advertise our businesses. So I would encourage anyone, regardless of your um, professional expertise, to understand what are the ways that blockchain technology is going to transform the way that I work, what, how is it going to affect my role and the way that I interact with um, my community and my stakeholders. And of course, we have these other sweeping um, uh, opportunities that are really not specific to any given industry or any given function. That everything, for example, the, these seven listed here, um, supply chains, uh, identity, smart contracts, the way we negotiate um, uh, token economies, the way we incentivize uh, behavior, how big data affects all industries, quantum computing, um, social media and the web. These are are big ideas that, that touch every industry. And so there's just another way that we think about uh, blockchain and it um, powering these, these kinds of breakthrough um, and sweeping ideas. And, um, you know, identity, uh, I brought earlier the, the idea of, build, of buildings having an identity unto themselves. And of course, we as people will have, uh, will, will very probably have our own um, digital, permanent, portable um, identities that store everything and we can own those uh, identities. We can own our health records. We can um, own our um, transactional histories. Right now, Google and, um, you know, depending on any social media apps that they use, that you use, they know more about us than we do about ourselves. They know what we bought three years ago, where we ate, um, who our friends are, what we did. And now the opportunity is for us to get our identities back. That concept also trans transfers over to inanimate objects. That everything can have an identity of its own. Um, every, every, you know, building, every uh, business model can have a, a, an identity of its, of its transactional history. And that's what's really quite exciting. And that's where data becomes such a powerful um, asset in, in future-proofing our, our organizations for this kind of environment. Hey, Hillary. Yeah. A quick question is, I mean, you've touched on something that's so top of mind for so many people. Of course, with all of the, um, all of the data sources coming online, data coming from everywhere, and some of that information is personal. You know, Google and others are under a lot of criticism around collecting personal information. And, you know, there's a whole debate on what is personal information. But all of that related to data security. Now, could you just maybe share very briefly a little bit around how the information 
could be more secure in this type of an approach versus a more traditional approach. Because whether it be a building data or personal data, um, you know, the, the emotional side of or the reluctance around information security and personal data is a barrier to innovation in many instances. But obviously, we want to be respectful. But could you maybe just talk about how blockchain technology is an asset when it comes to data protection and privacy? Great question, Lori. Thank you. Thank you. It's, a, it's an important clarifying question so that people understand the opportunities. So let's take a step back and look at, let's look at Facebook as um, a vehicle that has allowed individuals to share information online and they've monetized our data and they've sold our data to their advertisers. That's their business model. In a blockchain environment, think about a blockchain-based Facebook whereby there is no monetization of um, user activity that all of my activity on a blockchain-based platform is totally secure. And it's secured through the, the essence of blockchain architecture, which is decentralization. Decentralized blockchain systems are really difficult to hack. Um, they're not subject to a single point of failure. So our legacy systems that define the first generation of the internet are centralized and they're subject to a single point of failure. Whether that single point of failure is Cambridge Analytica having a whoops access to, um, you know, the, I, the, the data of, um, I think, 88 million Facebook users, that's a, that's a breach. Uh, if we look at other um, companies who have suffered data breaches that are really damaging Marriott Group, um, uh, you know, the list is so long, uh, Home Depot, um, Equifax, these are crises of confidence and they stem from the systems and the structure of the systems that companies use, which are centralized systems. And so blockchain has entered in a new architecture of security because the systems are decentralized, which means there are multiple copies of um, a network that exist in different geographic locations. And to compromise such a system means that you have to hack um, the entire network simultaneously, which is an incredibly difficult thing to do. And so the whole security of blockchain makes it um, a system where we could confidently store our private information. We could confidently store our personal data. We can confidently uh, store our communications and our health records because they use decentralized architecture for that purpose. And the possibilities for us as individuals or say buildings as, as you know, um, unique um, identity players is if I own all of my data and my data might be very current, it might be an opinion that I have about the last election or opinion that I have about a new sneaker and an organization, a big brand, wants to know what I think about a product or a service, they can say, Hillary, we'd love your opinion on what you think of these new sneakers. And we can then exchange my ideas and my data, my opinions for a micropayment where I have now, I become um, a stakeholder in the brand and the brand pays me a micropayment for me completing a survey or for my engagement on a product. Um, rather than the brand sending that money through Facebook and pushing out content to users, brands can have a more intimate and a more commercial, more direct one-on-one -on -one relationship with its customers or prospective customers. So it brings it brand engagement to a whole new level. That's what's so very powerful. So if we own our data and not Facebook owning our data, we can then sell our data on terms of our choosing. Right now, that's exciting. That, that's exciting potential because that's going to, I think, allow us to accelerate with uh, some of these innovative concepts faster and um, more with more objectivity, right? Rather than once under beholden to one specific company. Mm -hmm. That's very interesting. Thank you, Hillary, for that and, bonus question, a pop quiz. Sure. <laughs> really, Lori, it is security of the data on block, uh, powered by blockchain that 
enables this kind of environment to take place and also the ease of of um, negotiating contracts and negotiating the exchange of value. Um, all of this stuff is, is a matter of a few lines of code. And so that's why it's so transformational and, and so exciting. Great. All right, so I'll tell you a little story about one of the first innovators in this space who are, who are redefining uh, the way we negotiate contracts and the way that blockchain technology integrates with physical objects like buildings and the Internet of Things. So one of the first pioneers to work with blockchain technology was a group called Slocket, and they worked on the Ethereum blockchain, which is the blockchain that allows you to build applications on top of it. It's, it has a similar architecture to Bitcoin, but it's more, um, uh, more flexible. It's like an operating system unto itself. So you can build applications that run on iOS, you can build applications for Android, you can build applications that run on Ethereum, same kind of thing. So Slocket thought, wow, what, what can we do here that really, um, how can we work with this technology and integrate uh, what we know about the Internet of Things and what we know about Ethereum's ability to negotiate contracts? And so they were very successful in connecting an inanimate object to the Ethereum blockchain. The first object they connected was a lock. And the lock had its own smart contract, its own sort of, um, uh, its own address. And what they were successful in programming was that the lock would perform certain functions when certain conditions were met, which is the essence of a smart contract. Um, and so the conditions were, if I send a micropayment of cryptocurrency to the lock's smart contract address, the lock opened up which was really neat. And a lot of things had to come together for that technology to, to, to work. And so they thought, wow, um, this can open up doors to a lot of things. So problem to be solved, use blockchain technology to build a sharing economy without intermediaries. What if I could access the building without having to go through all the other steps? What if I could just send a micropayment of some kind of data and then my, the building's door would open after hours? Uh, that data might be my identity. Um, how do we negotiate contracts with physical objects uh, because of this innovation? So um, uh, Slocket um, has really taken that innovation and thought about how it can build new sharing economies that are, that are specific to um, you know, what we call universal sharing networks. How can this be applied in um, renting bicycles, renting office space, um, renting vacation properties? Uh, and so on. So it was an early example of two integrating technologies and how the negotiation of contracts, the movement of money could really make physical things happen. Um, there's a, 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 another implementation that, that this organization has worked on is um, the exchange of, of um, um, electricity for electric vehicles. So a vehicle, an, an autonomous vehicle, could pull up to an EV station and the, the um, exchange of payment for the electricity could happen autonomously and automatically just by the very presence of the vehicle pulling up to the EV station. Contracts negotiated right away. There's a record of, of um, the transaction for both parties. It's, it's seamless. There's no intermediary. And as a result, there are no high fees for the exchange of that value. So uh, an early example of of converging technologies and the possibilities that it opens up. And we think about this application in terms of, of buildings and, and in terms of, of the way we rent idle assets of any kind, whether it's heavy machinery, heavy equipment, um, how, we access, how we access buildings and how we integrate with the physical environment. Lots of opportunities there. Um, another example is um, uh, supply chains and Construction and, and real estate have, um, they use a lot of different uh, supply chains. And one of, the, one of the pain points, as I understand it in the industry, uh, Lori, I'd love to hear from you on, on, on you know, some of the real challenging issues, but in the event of a catastrophic failure of one kind or another for a building or for some kind of physical object, how quickly can you pull up uh, the contracts 
Um, who serviced the building? Did the regulator come? Um, you know, which, which organization did we hire to provide um, the labor or what have you? Any number of, of answers have traditionally been very difficult um, to find. And there's a really good example of an early pilot that Walmart conducted to try to solve problems quickly with respect to food safety and conducted a pilot project um, using uh, the pork supply chain in China and using mangoes in North America. How do we solve problems quickly? Uh, for, for Walmart, it would take seven days for them to understand where uh, a contaminated good originated. And seven days is a long time. For other industries, it can take six months to determine where a failure happened in the supply chain. And that's a function of um, existing um, regulatory environment, certainly with food, um, that right now you only, the supply chain regulations are one up, one down. I only need to know where the goods originated before they came to me, and I only need to know where they went after. Everything else is broken, and so it takes a lot of time to figure out where did something come from. So if we think about parts um, as inputs in a building, what are the most reliable parts? Or when we have a, uh, a recall, where did those parts come from? How quickly can we solve the problem? And how quickly can we pivot to know that, oh, this, this supplier is fine or not fine and, and choose a different supplier? Um, so the ability to solve problems quickly and to under, because of supply chain um, management is a very important application for construction and real estate. Um, it's not necessarily going to um, build your bottom line, but it will prevent a lot of loss and a lot of um, waste by, by being able to, to pinpoint the bad actors in the supply chain and enhance trust. Um, another example of this uh, problem is if we is a healthcare setting where you know I think J and J had to recall thousands of, of faulty hips, and the problem is they didn't know in whose bodies the faulty hips hips went. So being able to pinpoint exactly which products went into which um, recipients is is an important prob problem across all industries. Supply chain management, enhanced parts traceability, um, knowledge about um, regulatory inspectors, and so on. These are things that are going to revolutionize um, real estate and con construction. The ability to solve problems quickly. So we're really, really excited about that. That's where the value is going to come. Loss mitigation by being able to pinpoint problems quickly. I think also, Hillary, uh, this is just an area that's done not very well, very frankly, in the industry. Um, you know, it's where did the building parts come from, uh, building condition assessments, um, who is the supplier, um, just general data around the building and the parts that service it is really cataloged generally poorly. I mean, for organizations that use some IWMS system, it's better, but still, I see clients that have poor data in that area and you know there's companies that do like our, the company I work for that does building condition assessments and gets that book of record but it's accurate in the moment and then maintaining that information is important especially as you change providers or you know people change jobs and retire it's important to have that book of record and I think all of this goes down to risk management as well as efficiency and so if you have an event like a flood or you know some sort of a, an issue where you need to be able to respond very quickly as well as preventative maintenance and repair it can take our book of record of data at a building to a whole other level and that's what i was queuing on earlier when you were talking about having a building id that all data for all parts that go into that building are attached to and then you would have a much higher quality of information in that common language on how to communicate and not be beholden to, you know, one assessment at one point of time. It allows for a continual process, which I, I think is just only going to lead to quality and a better way of addressing risk. So yeah. very, I, I really see the power and potential. 
And you know, fraud is a problem. It plagues a lot of industries, um, maintenance records, safety records, um, uh, you know, fraudulent parts, being able to certify the parts um, is really an important um, ability. And I think the, uh, there, there's really nothing but upside here. I think the pilots that Walmart ran in, in their food supply chains were so successful that they've rolled it out across all of their um, lettuce products. And essentially, if you wish to sell to Walmart, you will be a participant on their chain. The transaction will be appended to the network. And if you don't agree, then, then you just won't be part of that um, uh, supply. So it works. And we're seeing other organizations implement it in food safety. Um, of course, this is, this is true for pharmaceuticals. Um, being able to, you know, fraud in pharma is huge. Um, yeah. Yeah, so this is a um, one of those um, applications that is transferable across all industries, but highly relevant to real estate and construction. Super exciting. Hey, Hillary, how do you see organizations weighing, I'll call it return on investment, but the value proposition of investing in something that maybe they view as, you know, it's, it's a new, newer topic for them, might be make require some investment to implement how do you see organizations weighing the investment of a new way of working versus the risk and the benefits like how what are the kinds of things that you see clients weighing and I, what i'm trying to do is help you eliminate the the typical barriers or myth busting the barriers to changing to this way of working weighed against some of the benefits that they get I think the best thing that organizations can do is to think about the problems that they face, the everyday problems that are very costly. And what are the problems? Are the problems um, high costs due to waste or is the problem waste itself and lost opportunities? Is the problem uh, any operational inefficiencies and high costs related to uh, that activity? Um, and so we're thinking about your pain points and your problems is uh, or an organization's um you know financial um weaknesses is probably a really good starting point if you if you understand the costs of a, a given issue what is the cost of uh, a recall um and can we mitigate that cost so that's one area for roi and then the other is much more futuristic looking if we if you're looking at uh, at opening up new markets, really understanding the shift in, in what constitutes value for your customers or um, what constitutes value for the organization as in owning your own data. Um, it's a two-pronged approach. Cost mitigation, or three, perhaps three-pronged. Looking at financial loss, looking at internal operational efficiencies, and then looking at new markets. Those are the three different ways that you can approach this. I love that because it's so simply said. It can be viewed either as insurance, I'll call it, to um, avoid risk and what is the cost of those risk events when they happen, but it also sets you up as a platform for an incredible amount of opportunity and, and invention and potential. And it really handles both things at once. So thank you for such a coherent explanation. That's great. Okay, let's keep going. I'm delighted, thank you. Um, so another really exciting area is additive manufacturing, 3D printing. Um, this is this is a, this is a game changer for the way we build things, and whether it's the way we build um, individual parts, or whether or how we build houses, how we build buildings. And so I thought it would be relevant to describe some of the applications um, and the interactions between additive manufacturing and blockchain for the benefit of, of the real estate audience, uh, Lori, because this is one of those technologies that I think is really important um, to keep an eye on. This could be, you know, a very disruptive technology for this industry. Uh, but with every, you know, innovation comes opportunity. So we'll give you an example of a company that really had to take a hard look at 3D printing for different reasons. The company's name is Moog, and they have been building machined metallic um, parts 
for the aerospace and aircraft industry for 75 years. And they have, uh, they also build uh, precision parts for the healthcare industry. Um, they service a lot of different clients in different industries, but I think the bread and butter of their business is in uh, aviation. And regulation uh, is obviously uh, paramount in that industry, being able to certify that you're using authentic parts um, for certainly military aircraft is a big deal. And yet 40% uh, of all, this is a scary um, stat, 40% of all aircraft parts are fraudulent. Yeah, think about that the next time you fly, which is really crazy. Yeah, fraudulent parts. I fly all the time. <laughs> I do too. Yes, so um, certification of parts is a really big deal. So Moog took a step back and thought about the future and thought, hmm, there are a couple of interesting things at play. 3D printing techniques were starting to become uh, more competitive, uh, building the, the machined metallic parts that they've been doing for 75 years. The, their methodologies were superior. And so they thought, well, what are we going to do? Well, the best thing they could do was invest in uh, 3D printing and invest in a company, uh, one of the leading companies. And rather than shipping their, their um, motion, uh, metallic motion parts made in Buffalo, loading them up on a truck, um, you know, through a, a shipping company and sending them to Air New Zealand, they deployed 3D printing at their client's um, point of assembly. And that radically condenses the supply chain. And so what gets transferred? What gets shipped? Well, what gets shipped is the computer-aided design file. And that becomes the asset that gets transferred on a blockchain platform. That's how blockchain integrates with 3D printing. And so the design of the part or the design of the house or the design of, of whatever it is that you're printing becomes the asset. And that design can come therefore from anywhere. It, you can have an RFP and you can find the best designers. They can submit their intellectual property on a blockchain. They can pitch for uh, the work and you, you can know, uh, you can certify the origin of the design, ship it inexpensively to its end destination and have that perfect, um, uh, provenance and and record of how old is the part when did it get printed when did it get installed and the the um the chain of record is secured and enabled by blockchain technology so instead of a cryptocurrency or instead of data here we are sending computer-aided design files that is the asset that is secured and transferred on a blockchain that's how it's interacting with everyday organizations um, so how does it change your clients who have these big factories? Profoundly, profoundly. Um, but we have, but the benefits are, you know, uh, record accuracy, um, ability to, you know, maintain uh, safety and certifications, uh, higher levels of precision, uh, really integrated supply chains, the protection of intellectual property, and um, you know, the protection of data. So obviously for Moog, this is um, a, a lower cost proposition and certainly a lower carbon footprint to transfer um, what, it, what its clients needs in a more efficient way using new technologies. So um, I have yet to see an example of, of a 3D printing implementation that is specific to real estate, but if it's being applied in this industry, you can be sure that it's coming um, for others in exactly this capacity. I have a few examples on another episode that might be interesting. I'd be happy to connect you with them, Hillary. But I agree with you. I think that it's really interesting when you take two disruptive uh, forces or trends and combine them together, it really unlocks a whole new level of potential. And I, I agree with you. I think 3D printing is going to be in the very near future. I'm already seeing some pretty incredible examples of how it is going to disrupt how we construct and build. And it's nice to see it augmented and working collaboration with blockchain. And I think it's gonna unlock a whole other level of potential in both of those areas and applications. And in waste management too, Lori, I, I, you know, this is a different example. It's not building buildings, but um, 
there's a scene in the new James Bond film or the upcoming James Bond film that was shot in Jamaica. And I did some research on a different application that was being rolled out in Jamaica to come upon this story. But the group that I was interviewing said that they collected 30,000 um, single use plastic water bottles that the crew uh, consumed during the, sh the filming time on set in Jamaica. I mean, you can only imagine filming in the, the heat of, of the Caribbean, these, these scenes. So they, they took all of the, um, the plastic from, from those water bottles, made it into 3D um, printing filament, and are using it for, you know, everyday things in the community. So it's not, you know, as a, as a end use for, um, for plastic. Plastic's not the problem, it's plastic management that's the problem. So it's really exciting to see some um, great uses of, of plastic filament for building everyday everyday objects, uh, whether it's benches or you know something neat in a foyer. It, 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 you know the possibilities are really limitless. So shall I carry on to the next one? I think I'm getting close to the end here. Yes, I am getting close to the end. <laughs> so yeah, I think what, uh, what I wanna leave everybody with is, is to start thinking about how blockchain technology might disrupt your organization's ability to earn revenue, how it could disrupt your organization's ability to add value to your clients, or could it potentially empower it? Um, how will the technology uh, impact your organization's um, bottom line? And be sure you're asking the right questions. This is more than a tool for operational efficiency. This is about business model transformation. And, um, you know, just to keep on top of it. And, and you know, it's a good time to get started if you're new to this space um, to begin to develop yourself professionally to become more fluent in these opportunities. That's really great advice. And Hillary, if you don't mind, I think that a lot of our audience members still find the concept of blockchain still hard to wrap their mind around specific examples of application. It's still a bit of a mysterious topic, but I think we're getting more and more information. I love being able to give our audience practical advice. So what advice would you have for somebody that is looking to get started? Like, how do we start experimenting with this? Where do we begin? Like if they had to take a couple of steps or learn, like do you have any book recommendations or resources, but how would somebody start to build an incubator in their own organization to, to start to practice and play and try uh, blockchain technology and whatever matters to them? Mm -hmm. Great question, Lori, and it's, um, it's an important one. I. Some of the organizations we deal with at the Blockchain Research Institute have been uh, voluntold to get up to speed. So that's a very stressful position to be in, is one where um, you know, your, your leadership team comes to you and they say, right, this is what you're going to be doing now. And I would hope that um, you know, anyone in this audience would not be so caught off guard that that would be a real shock, but sometimes it can be. And so I suggest to people that there are three approaches for their professional development that, that they should take. And I break those into three buckets. The first is um, intrinsic learning. And that's, those are activities that we can do ourselves. Those are the books that we can read, um, the videos that we can watch, things that we can do on our own time, the podcasts that we can listen to, um, you know, the quiet learning activities that we can pursue on our own time. And the second bucket is external learning. And that requires showing up. That requires attending a conference. Um, that requires attending a meetup or, or taking a course or becoming much more active where you're out and about, you're meeting people or you're, you're working toward um, some kind of certification. And uh, the third is experiential learning. And I think that there's no type of learning quite like getting your hands um, dirty and getting your hands on. So what I recommend to people who want to have a basic understanding of blockchain technology is go through the process of buying a little bit of Bitcoin and then send it to a charity of your choice. 
And when you go through that hands-on experiential process, you will, your, your um, mind will be transformed. You will understand blockchain technology in a way that the other activities cannot illustrate. That hands-on element is really quite important and it doesn't need to involve a lot of money, but it's, it is, eye, it's totally eye-opening. So for me, I was attending a conference um, I was going through that experiential uh, learning process. I went to a blockchain training conference several years ago. And one of the speakers invited all of the delegates to come and see him. And he would give us each $2 worth of Bitcoin. And he said, come and see me and I'll show you how, all, how this all works. Like it's not a lot of money, but in that very quick transaction, and my ability to have a permanent record of that transaction still on my phone today and to be able to see that transaction on the bitcoin blockchain today um, was a learning exercise that just cannot be replicated by watching videos or reading books it was very very important now in terms of you know which books and which activities uh there there are are many um my professional life was transformed having read Blockchain Revolution by Don Tapscott and Alex Tapscott, which remains the best-selling uh, book on blockchain technology um, uh, for, for the business world. Um, so that's a terrific book. There are, there are TED Talks, there are podcasts, there are so many resources that uh, can be tapped into. Another collaborator that we have worked with at the Blockchain Research Institute is Michael Casey. Uh, he and a New York Times uh, columnist named Paul Vigna have co-written two really great books. Um, uh, the most recent is called The Truth Machine. So those are my two picks for uh, literature. And um, we also have a course at the Blockchain Research Institute that we've launched in collaboration with INSEAD and Coursera called Blockchain for the Enterprise. And it is a four uh, course a program um, that results in the certification of blockchain proficiency for professionals. So it's, it, that's a great way to, um, uh, you know, to get some um, um, of the right skill sets and, and qualifications as, as a way to uh, start to dig into blockchain technology as a professional. And then, of wow. Course, and, oh, I'm going go ahead. Sorry, Lori. I, I also, you know, we at the Blockchain Research Institute are a resource for organizations who, um, who are new to the space, who don't have the internal resources to dedicate a whole team to blockchain, but they want to have access to um, the insights and um, they want to have help with understanding what should we do next. And so companies join our organization to help them get started. Uh, so that we take tremendous pride in, in transforming some newbies into industry leading pioneers. Uh, so that's been a really fulfilling aspect of my role. Hillary, I just love what you've summarized and it doesn't matter if you're a left brain thinker or a right brain thinker. You've given the audience some options, however they absorb information or learn. You've given them such a buffet of learning options to think about and I thank you. So um, homework for the audience is there's three key ways books, and I agree with you, Hillary. I think Don's, uh, Don and Alex's uh, Tapscott's book is one of the most coherent I've read in the industry. I had to, I confess, read three books. Theirs was the third that I read, and they have such a, an eloquent way of, it, of translating a complex topic into something that's much more mentally palatable. So I, I just love their book. It was my go-to. My favorite thing that you said was just do it, just like the Nike of blockchain, right? Is get out there, you know, try, um, you know, donate to a charity a small amount of money. Once you have one tiny actual implemented step, you'll feel more comfortable. You'll learn a little bit more in the process. It's like the first time we've used a new phone or any type of technology. It just starts with the beginning of actually applying it and trying it, not learning about it. And then, of course, one of the things I love about the Blockchain Research Institute, first of all, one of the most comprehensive sources of applied examples in coaching and learning. Uh, so if you haven't already uh, visited their, their website, I encourage you to do so because one of the most comprehensive sources we have available 
and you're a wonderful ambassador of that organization. And if you're not already following Hillary Carter in social media, on LinkedIn or, or Twitter, please do so. Um, I, I, both of those, both Hillary and the Blockchain Research Institute are really go-to resources for anything about blockchain. Uh, I thank you so much for your time today, Hillary. Is there any parting advice or any last statement that you want to say before we sign off? You know, I have to share this, Lori, because I thank you so very much for that very kind uh, endorsement. It's always, it's always a real thrill to, uh, to be able to share a program like this with you. And uh, um, I would only love to add that uh, UNICEF has just in the last month um, opened itself up to receiving cryptocurrencies as um, a, a donation mechanism. So there's a, a tip of uh, a, a leading global organization where if you're interested in having that hands-on experience and making a small donation to uh, UNICEF, they now accept cryptocurrency. And the woman who led that initiative was a Canadian um, named uh, Christina Lomazzo. She was at Deloitte in Ottawa and she worked on uh, Project Jasper with the government of Canada uh, about a, a exploring um, the possibility of perhaps a digital currency for, for Canada. And she's joined uh, UNICEF now and is leading, leading the charge there. So it's really wonderful to see other women who are taking on such leadership roles and, and creating change in our world. So um, go Christina, it's a shout out to, to her and the work that she's doing. Well, there you go. Now you have an example of where to experiment if you haven't before with UNICEF. Thank you so much, Hillary. I will tag her and UNICEF as part of our social media campaign for this particular episode. And I may uh, decide to interview her maybe in an upcoming episode and just actually see how she did it. Uh, so thank you so much for that lead. That's great. Uh, Hillary Carter, thank you so much. It's really a pleasure to have you on this episode. And it's a pleasure to know you. And thank you for inspiring change in our industry and just helping us be better at it. So thank you so much for your time today. Again, don't forget to follow Hillary Carter in social media, as well as the Blockchain Research Institute. And thank you so much, Hillary. Lori, thank you. It's been an honor and a pleasure, as always. You've been listening to Leading Innovation at Work, the Future of Business podcast. Hey, if you have questions or comments about this episode, reach out to us via our website at www.leadinginnovationatwork.com. And if you've enjoyed this podcast, please hit like and subscribe on Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you tune in. You can find me, Lori Rowlandson, on LinkedIn or via my website at laurierowlandson.com. That's L-O-R-R-I-R-O-W-L-A-N-D-S-O-N dot com. Thank you for listening.